Let's start with some tough love, all right? You two suck. Say my name. That's what the kids call Prissy guy with the mustache. You're listening to Inside the Gillivers, talking all things Breaking Bad, El Camino, and Better Call Saul. Brought to you by the Royal Bobbles Collection at bobbleheads.com. For all your favorite characters from the Gillivers, shop the Royal Bobbles Collection at bobbleheads.com. Also brought to you by Rode Microphones, the official microphone supplier of Inside the Gillivers. See their entire lineup today at rode.com. Now, please welcome your host, Eric Broadbent. Good evening, everyone, and thank you for joining us for Season 3, Episode 16 of Inside the Gilliverse, talking all things Breaking Bad, El Camino, and Better Call Saul. My name is Eric Broadbent, and it comes with extreme pleasure to welcome tonight's guest, Mr. Bob Odenkirk and Ray Seahorn. We're going to bring them on right now. Here we are. Bob, Ray, how are you? Hi. Hey, good, good. I'm looking at the uh, Royal Bobbleheads now. And uh, it makes me laugh. <laughs> you don't have any of those guys yet? Uh, no, I do not have any of them. Okay, well, I'll get Warren and the team. There's actually the new Saul Goodman one that Jimmy's been discontinued. He's a rare item now, so I've got the Saul Goodman one. We'll get you a couple of those. Ray, Wait, do you- where do you see them? He's got to go online for Royal Bobbles. And you can Royal see Bobbles. Them. But you said you're looking- oh, you looked them up? Oh. Ray, do you do have you- any yet? Um, I have one from the... Uh, what? What's the... I. I'm going to get in trouble because I don't know which brand is which. I have the tall Kim one with the the, the Zafiro nail. Yes, that's that's it. And then I have the pop one of Bob. The okay, the Funko Pop one. That some someone bought me that one right when I got the show. Nice. Well, Bob, I can't. I'll, yeah, I'll send you. I'm, I'll I'm looking. Talk. Yeah, I'm looking for the Kim one and I don't see it. It's really cool. I can. I can. Go oh, here it is, Ray. I'm looking at it. It's really cool. There's a there's a little Zafiro Zafiro Inejo. Yeah, Man, I hated okay. it whenever I got that line, and um, post-it notes. Yep. Um, now, Bob, yeah, this is a limited edition with a Van Halen guitar. So there you go. Wow. What is that? That's that's Saul Goodman. That's oh. the Saul Goodman version. He's he's saying he likes it. I think with a Van Halen guitar. The Van Halen guitar doesn't come with it, but being that uh, right. Jimmy McGill played uh, Stairway to Heaven, he could always right. play it on an uh, EVH Frankenstrat. Anyways, we have a very short time tonight, so Wait, I wanna... I thought he played Smoke on the Water. He did. He did. He also did Stairway to Heaven? I'm not very good at trivia. <laughs> Didn't Tom Schnauz give you a couple little pointers on that, or no? Me? I'm no, what? no, no, Bob, for the Smoke on the Water. Yes, he did. Yeah, there I, I can play guitar all right. I can play chords and stuff, but that song was a little uh, funky. I didn't love it. No, no, no. I, I, I couldn't do it easily. There you go. Well, thank you. Thank goodness for Tom and some uh, some guitar lessons, uh, uh, you know, improv. Anyways, we have a bunch of really, really good audio questions tonight and some super chat questions coming in. Um, I just wanted I'm going to do one question tonight and I've taken everything off off the table so we can dedicate it to fans tonight. But, Bob, the character you've portrayed in in the Gilliverse, so to speak, has been around a lot longer than uh, Ray's character. But I just would like to ask you a question of what you think of saying goodbye to Saul Goodman after Monday, after such a time. And Ray will talk about your character in a moment with the Breaking Bad um, kind of intermelding as well, too. But, Bob, what's it going to be like saying goodbye to Saul Goodman after Monday? Um, You know, I feel... uh it's it, it's such a big thing in my career. It's going to take me a long time for it to sink in. I think I need to see it in perspective a little bit before I feel the the loss of not being able to go back to to the 
richness of this character. Um, but I valued it while I had it. So, you know, it's, uh, I don't think people go, I, I didn't go into showbiz to do the same thing for my whole career. There are a lot of careers you can do where you do the same thing. <laughs> uh, I got into showbiz to do a variety of things. And so I'll be, um, I'll miss this greatness of this character, but I'm going to also enjoy doing other things. Well, I know for a lot of us, we are going to miss Saul Goodman as well, too. And we'll go back. We've got a lot of things we can binge binge watch again. I know a lot of people are going to go back through Breaking Bad. Better call Saul again as well, too. But for Ray, for yourself, are you happy to see how uh, Kim has been kind of woven into Breaking Bad? It's it's quite nice from, you know, the last couple episodes. It's, you know, because a lot of us were thinking, where is Kim during this time, right? We did. It was always hypothetical. Where is she? Well, we didn't see, you know, Saul's home life. It was all hypothetical. But now we have history being rewritten how do you how do you like the fact that she's been written into breaking bad in the way she has i think peter did an incredible job with a monumental task of wrapping up so many storylines and huge philosophical moral ethical questions that they raised so well throughout throughout better call saul and then on top of that you know you've got the mothership breaking bad and things folding in and characters folding in storylines and making sure you hit certain mileposts I, I think he did an incredible job i was thrilled to have the part in it that that i did i thought i thought the ending and um how intelligent they assumed the audience was and how intelligent they allowed bob and my characters to be in the end was was perfect Okay, and one second, we have one small problem here. Okay, we are fixed. We are fixed there. Okay, so I'm going to jump over to our audio questions, and we had a problem saying we weren't actually technically live, but we are good. So I'm going to jump over to our first question from Karina, our executive producer, and I think this is to both of you. Hi, Bob. Hi, Ray. This is Karina. To Bob, if Howard hadn't died, do you think Jimmy and Kim would still be together and pulling scams? And to Ray, you go through so many emotions in that airport shuttle scene in 612. How do you even prepare for a scene like that? Good luck at the Emmys. You both deserve to win. Thank you for that. That's very nice of you to say um, about the Emmy win. Um, I, uh, I don't think... I, I don't know if they'd be together and I don't think they'd be pulling scams. Um, I feel like destroying someone's character uh, in the community, someone who cares and works hard to have a good character probably is going to backfire. Uh, even if all you do is feel shitty about it for the rest of your life, if he doesn't die, but you just get to feel bad. Um I, I just don't think, a, even though they're getting off on it, the the it's not a sustainable. Um, I don't know. It, it's a it's a negative kind of energy, yeah. uh, and I just my personal feeling is they're um, they're hitting the crack pipe, and and that kind of relationship just is going to burn out. That's that's how I feel. Yeah, I, I totally agree, by the way, because they're building on sand. Whether they had gotten the sandpiper money and made the her PD, uh, you know, public defender help office and all of that stuff or the relationship, like they're just building on increasingly <laughs> more and more sand. Um, you can't you can't keep going, but for so long. Um, 
Karina, thank you for the compliment about the Emmys uh, as well. The uh, the scene in the tram um, in the airport shuttle, um, I uh, I understood immediately that she, it's not just one thing that's hitting her. Then she, it's um, it is the whole episode of holding things in, and it is also she's crying about everything, the tragedy of. Kim Wexler, the tragedy of uh, Jimmy McGill to Saul Goodman to Gene, the tragedy of their relationship, and just the sort of epic proportions of um, how they ended up here. Uh, I made sure that I took note in the scenes that are actually in 612 prior to that of um, where she was not allowed to show emotion, you know, when Hamlin's uh, widow, played by the wonderful Sandrine Holt, when she's telling me that I'm a piece of shit um, and what am I doing this for, you know, almost implying is this supposed to make me feel better or her feel better, which is a real question. Um, and I, I talked with Vince extensively about the fact and Peter that Kim should not look broken or crying in that scene or because that's to take away the victimhood of, of, of his widow. His widow deserves to be the victim in that scene. Um, so there was a lot to hold in. So technically how I go about it is I think all these things through, um, take note of how the scenes feel. I had the pleasure of doing that scene after sequentially. Um, but even if I hadn't, just going through and taking stock of the tragedy of these two people, of where they ended up instead of what they could have been. Um, and, um, and then it's just about uh, pushing it down. I, I truly believe as most decent actors do that it's it's always about playing against even though kim has maybe earned hopefully earned um to finally fall apart uh i still think like if you're on a public bus and that hits you uh anybody's ears would get hot your chest would get tight you'd feel like you want to throw up and you'd push it down and what happens when we push things down in our body is it gets very very tense and um and erupts so i'm I'm glad that it uh, felt so authentic to a lot of people as that sort of dam that you can't stop. It was one of those feelings, like it was an awkward feeling, it was a scary feeling, a sad feeling, because you know when you're on a public thing like that, you don't know how to react. You saw one person, I'm not sure if it was a man or a woman, kind of touching Kim, like, oh, here, here, you know, kind of. The woman is Holly. It's Vince Gilligan's very long-time incredible partner. There you go. Well, that there's some comfort that way, but a lot of times people are even too afraid to even do that. So it kind of shows how human decency works. Other people are looking in a distance, what's wrong? But it was a great scene. Okay, here yeah, is it highlights how hey, Ray. Ray, don't you think that Kim has been a pretty bottled up person for almost the whole the whole show? I do, but you and I share a trepidation of. Yeah, but I mean, going in the opposite direction of Uta Hagen saying the audience will feel for the character only what they cannot feel for themselves. You don't want to be the big sobbing mess out there. No one's going to care about me. I know, but that character has been holding it in for so long on so many layers. Yeah. We don't even know her past. We yeah. know her past is probably not good. Not good. So she's just got a lifetime to let out in yeah. in in a cracked moment that comes from having. I would say it's. Isn't it motivated entirely by confessing? It's a horrifying confession. To I me. think it's everything. I think she's been suppressing falling apart the entire time she's been in Florida, if not all the way back to before, as you're saying. So it isn't even 
just confess. I think that confessing opened up the tiniest crack to allow herself to feel what has actually happened, what has actually transpired. And, uh, and uh, I, I'm, I'm, I'm glad you think it's earned. I do oh, too. yeah, I do. I do. Absolutely. I, I mean, this is a character we've been watching suck it up for mm-hmm. the whole goddamn time. I mean, except for a few little crack moments, little moments where it peeks through. You know, I, I yeah, Good. it was totally justified to me. Yeah, the floodgates opened on that one. So I told you both there's a funny question coming in. This is from Cormac, and I really love this question, the audio question here. This is, I believe, to both of you. So let's play his message. Hi, everyone. This is Cormac from Cambridge, just outside of Boston. Uh, thanks to Inside the Gilliverse for this amazing podcast, and thanks to Ray and Bob for two of the most incredible performances I've ever seen in my life. I'm kind of nervous to speak with you, Legends, so in keeping with the series' central theme of pretending to be somebody that you're not, if you permit me, I'm going to ask my question as Lalo instead. So hey, you guys spent so long now pretending to be a couple and giving us such a close look examining these characters not only as individuals but also specifically as a couple. And I know you two amazing actors are both each married in real life. Congratulations, by the way. Bien hecho. Respect, you know? So what I'm wondering is this. Are there any tips or any kind of life lessons you've learned from playing this couple for so long now that you took into your own personal lives and have helped you maybe avoid any pitfalls or somehow make things better regarding your own relationships? Thanks so much for allowing me this question. Muchas gracias. And hey, watch your backs, okay? I know they say I'm muerte now, but you heard that one before too, right? So you never know. Be seeing you. Adios, amigos. Nice. I love it. I love love that. I like your rendition. That's good. I played that 50 <laughs> times. Did I get anything from Jimmy Kim that I brought into my... I think it goes the other way. relationship advice. I mean, I really think it goes the other way. Um, <laughs> but, you know, really good relationships are kind of a mystery. Um, there's a some kind of strange uh, positive energy that is just generated out of nowhere and it's kind of and it's reliable you know i guess the version of the 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 relationship that we play out on the show they get they are particularly excited and and sort of entertained by their lives when they're doing these bad things um and so I don't, I mean, I think though they like hanging out together too. So that's good. I mean, that's real. That that feels like uh, my real relationship in real life. And, uh, and I think most of the stuff that feels right about the Jimmy and Kim relationship for me comes from real relationships that, that, that I've experienced that have those components of just being uh, easygoing with each other. Uh, there's a lot of freedom to be yourself and an acceptance uh, that you feel and that allows you to be comfortable and you give that same thing to your partner. Well said, well yeah. said. And Ray? Yeah. I would only add that I very, uh, there, I, there's a specific thing that I I got out of it, but I am not successful at it yet, which is that you do not have to say every time you think somebody is 
going in the wrong direction or doing something wrong. You can allow them the space to figure it out on their own. Um, Kim is far better at it than I am. It's a protective instinct, but it's good. It's good to, as Bob said, give people the space to um, be themselves. My fiance does not need uh, a manager. He's a wonderful human all on his, all on his own. <laughs> can you give us an example of like how someone might go wrong and how you how do you mean go wrong? Um, I have a tendency to uh, want to fix things. So if I even think somebody is in a bad mood, I have a very, very bad habit of um, thinking it's my problem to fix. Okay. All right. So let them let them work it out. Let them have the dignity of their own experiences. Okay. As a couple of well-known books out there say. Great advice. Great advice. Okay, we're going to jump over to, I think you both know this fellow from Twitter. It's Saul Goodman. Chris from Twitter uh, has a fantastic account. So this is his voicemail question for the both of you. Hi, Bob. Hi, Ray. This is Chris here from the It's All Good and Twitter account. First, I just want to thank you both for a magnificent seven and a half years. And I want to thank everyone from the cast and the crew that put so much time into making six great seasons for us. It's been a joy to watch and it's all paid off. My question is a two-part question. For both of you, knowing that Better Call Saul is sadly coming to an end, do you find it easier or harder to get yourself through those emotionally charged scenes? And speaking of the emotionally charged scenes, this is for Ray, that bus scene, Ray. Where did you have to go in your mind to actually pull off the cry of the century like that? What got you through that scene? Thank you. So we talked about that scene, but as far as getting through some of these scenes, being that it's towards the end, has it been any easier or more difficult for either of you? I'd say the scenes in the end, which you have not yet seen, um, were probably easier based on the fact that we were genuinely saying goodbye to each other. And now I've just spoiled that. Um, uh, sorry, but uh, if you're going to ask me the question, I, I'd say they were easier to play because there was a way in which they reflected the reality. That would be my my perspective on those final scenes and the emotions and how they connected to real life. And how about you, Ray? Yeah. I mean, um, as the season's winding down, certainly like all of us that had um, final scenes, um, you know, Michael Mando doing his final scene or Patrick Fabian doing his Tony Dalton, um, Giancarlo, Jonathan Banks, um, even if even if it's not your character's death, it's your if it's your last scene. It's um it's a family you're saying goodbye to. Um, a character that I know all of us love our characters. Um, love playing them anyway. <laughs> and uh, so you, yeah, you have that stuff on the surface that makes it a little bit easier to feel the depth of that emotion. I f- I sometimes find it more challenging because I want to choose the parts that are appropriate to the scene. I don't want to um, be out there prostituting my emotion, but. Um, the last couple of episodes, yeah, Bob's right. There's 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 stuff there to draw from about what those things would feel like. Fantastic. We have a question. Now, this one is, I believe you met Ragava, Ragava for, on Talking Salt the other night. He's done some great sketches of all of you oh, guys. Yeah. yeah, yeah, he's fantastic. So he has great uh, voicemail questions, and this is for the both of you, I believe. Let's have a look. Listen. Hi, Bob. Hi, Ray. It's Raghava. It's so great to have you back again on Inside the Gilliverse. Here's my question for Bob. What were some of the conscious acting choices you made to differentiate between the body language of Jimmy and that of Saul Goodman? I have the same question for Ray, 
because the Kim Wexler we saw in the most recent episode is not the one we've seen throughout the show. Thanks so much for giving us such brilliant performances. I told you wonderful questions. Body language. Really nice uh, question, and thank you for your wonderful artwork because uh, I saw some of it the other day when I saw you on camera. Um, and boy, you're great, just great. Um, uh, well, Jimmy's a lot of, or rather, Saul's a lot of fun with the uh, hand movements and uh, kind of, uh, you know, it's like a car salesman during a commercial. <laughs> <laughs> It's like trying to distract you with my movement so that you don't watch the words coming out of my mouth. And maybe you won't, you won't like dig into the specifics uh, as I try to snow you with the uh, actual sleight of hand. David Copperfield. Yeah, David it's, Copperfield. Yeah, it's, it's an attempt to distract and uh, really fun to play, really fun to be Saul. And then I say Jimmy's calmer. I mean, he's more earnest. He's more honest about the things he's feeling. But he also will, when he gets um, engaged with an emotional moment, he will be very physical with his upper body. But never quite what Saul does, where Saul's movements are kind of um, unnecessary. They're 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 really uh, a choice uh, to be um, to be to try to, like I say, overwhelm you or whatever. Whereas with Jimmy, I think it's just more honest all the way through. Um, he's he's not a uh, Jimmy McGill is Jimmy McGill. He's a person. He's not pretending to be someone else. And when he's Saul, he's pretending. He's doing a character to, to, to work on you. Okay, okay. And Ray, how about Kim? Sorry about the cat ears. He's, oh, it's okay. He won't stop meowing if I. That's okay. You probably hear um, mine too. Um, yeah, I uh, when I talked to Peter um, and Vince because he was directing Six Twelve about what uh, what it meant for Kim to have a wig, and they we talked and the costumes with Jennifer Bryan, and they explained to me that this is not about her being in hiding from the law. This is her being a shell of a, of a person and she doesn't want to be looked at anymore. She doesn't want to stand out anymore. She doesn't think she's even capable of making a decision about mayonnaise. Um, so for me, I changed my posture immediately. I just, I did more of my own horrible posture. <laughs> um, bring your, uh, you know, bring your um, shoulders around and uh, tilt your chin down. People that don't really want to make eye contact with people tend to do that a lot. Um, and uh, a lot of the work was done by wearing giant sneakers and ill-fitting jean skirts. So that helped. Really? <laughs> yeah, you don't, you can't walk very attractively in that. I can imagine. Yeah, I mean, actors always get a lot from clothing and facial hair. Yeah. And I always did, right, Ray? Don't you? I definitely I mean, do. Give oh me the gosh, guy's yeah. jacket and show me. You know, you, those things help me find somebody. Yeah, I know Patrick feels that way about his his suits as well. I mean, you can't you can't be a schlump in those suits. Speaking of the facial hair, I was telling Bob off the air. I really like the new look. It looks pretty nice. Yes, Bob. What's it for? Is it personal? I wonder. It's for, it's for that show I'm going to do for AMC. Nice. Street man. Dig I'm it. playing that professor now. I don't know if I'll keep it, but you know, in order to you know have it so that we can work with it, and I I think I will. Uh, I need to start growing it. How's the better half like it? 
Sometimes they do and sometimes they don't. I miss that. What? How does the better half like the facial does, hair? Does Naomi like it? Oh, she's not into it. But No. <laughs> uh, you don't like the beard, do you, hon? Beard? Yeah. It's abrasive. It's abrasive. Especially at that length. Yeah. When ground, it, yeah, it needs to be a little bit longer to at least be soft. That's where that it's sharp. Way. It's sharp at that. Yeah, I trust me, for a person that can grow a mustache in an afternoon, I, totally. Yeah. yeah. It'll get there. Yep. It's looking good, though. I got to say, it looks really good. All right. We're going to jump over to a question from one of our moderators and good friends, Jen Stevens. And actually, I got to show you this. Vince was very impressed with this. This is one of her creations. Check this out, guys. Can you see that? You made that? She made that. That's all 3D printed. That's and even Vince was saying that was one of the, the better ones he's ever seen. So there wow. you go. Yeah, yeah there really you go. Really nice. And she really made nice. an incredible, I mean, an exact likeness of the Davis and Maine water bottle. And one of the episodes, I was actually drinking from it with apple juice. And uh, my my better half, she doesn't she hasn't seen that episode yet. So she was wondering why I was drinking apple juice from a water bottle. But she'll get to that scene soon enough. But it's phenomenal. So here is Jen's question for both of you. Hi, Bob. Hi, Ray. My name is Jen. And I'd like to know if you guys would ever consider writing a book together, maybe along with Patrick, about your time living and filming together during the show. There's got to be some great stories in there. Thanks for everything. And I do hope you guys win all the awards. Thank, Thank you. you for that uh, question. And we had a great time living together. It really made a long, long, long shooting schedule away from our families in L.A. a whole lot more fun and healthy, I'd say, um, for me. Um, and we've talked about a book, but not about living together, uh, but about acting. Because I learned a lot about acting and thought a lot about acting while uh, doing this show, which was really for me, I, I did a SAG panel the other day and they asked all the lead male actors, what was your first job as an actor? And Brian Cox and Adam Scott and um, the gentleman from Squid Game all had, um, you know, jobs when they were 21 or whatever. And I said, better call Saul. <laughs> Nice, you know so um because it really felt like the true answer so there's a lot to for me to think about when i think about um learning about acting and a lot of it was done with ray because we were doing scenes together and uh figuring and finding our way to those feelings and those relationships and the journey together so i don't know i think it's a good idea i think that a book about acting that is very readable and um, doesn't have too much, isn't too preoccupied or caught up in theory, might be really uh, purposeful and useful. Would you agree, Ray? Uh, absolutely. Bob and I have been talking about it for a long time. We used to come back from sets and think like, you know, there's there's technique and there's craft and there's script analysis that you can come to from a variety of different ways or methods and everything. They boil down to some pretty common language. Um you know, objectives and obstacles and given circumstances and that kind of thing. But there's all this other stuff that you really can't learn in class and um, that is part of the process and is part of being on a set and is part of respecting other people's processes. And um, we we like thinking about that. We, and, and, and how do you, 
you're not acting in a bubble, you know? So it, we're interested in the craft and the process that an individual has, but also like the stuff that you learn being on set. And um, we learned, we learned a lot and we think that there's funny stuff and useful stuff there that, um, that people might enjoy. I think they will for sure. And it's nice to give back a little bit. And speaking of which, um, Peter, Peter Dice was our first guest ever on the show. And when we finish the show, whenever it may be, I, I want to have him as our last guest. But he told me he's going to come back one time and just give, we're not even going to talk about Better Call Saul. I'm not going to talk about anything other than he's going to give advice on getting the auditions and self-tapes. And, all, and we've seen some of his funny self-tapes. Is June his cat? <laughs> remember the one yeah. where she jumps and and knocks down his whole background so you know he's offered to come back and just give help and advice to people that want to get into the business and doing demos and self-tapes and stuff so it's it's good to give back for sure for sure there's a good question coming up this uh, fellow baxter asked a, a question to vince and peter last week and really stumped them and i'm really anxious to hear your opinions on this so it's a condensed version of what he asked vince and peter last week but it's for both of you Hi, Bob. Hi, Ray. Baxter here. I asked Vincent Peter this question last week, but I wanted to get your take on it also. So there seems to be a foreshadowing of character deaths every time they're introduced. So the first time we see Nacho is during the interrogation in the desert. Nacho dies interrogated in the desert. First time we see Chuck is at the desk with the lantern on a stack of papers. Chuck dies at the desk. First time we see Howard, Jimmy references the movie Network, which dies with the man named Howard being shot in the head. First time we see Lalo is in the kitchen. The rest of the world thinks he died in the kitchen. He has to go underground to escape. He dies underground. Marco in the alleyway. Werner being driven somewhere unknown. It goes on and on. And then first time we see Kim... She's on the phone with someone next to Howard, and she tells him, we'll take care of it. And in this last episode, she has taken care of it. She's given her affidavit. So my question is, does Jimmy's end correlate with the way he's introduced at all? Thanks, guys. Oh, boy, that's a loaded question. That's a loaded question, considering we're three days away. Well done on the math. Yes, yeah, I know. Well done. I, by the way, I didn't think about all that stuff. I, I, I've got to say... Some of these things are surprisingly true, and the writers thought about them and planned them, and also quite a few of them are not, <laughs> I don't think, um, but are just simply a consequence of very carefully thought out plotting and character. Um, and as a result, you find things um, reincorporating themselves. Um, and that's just because they care uh, and they are great storytellers. And so, in other words, in a weird way, it's like saying it's unintentional, but it's purposeful. It's, it, it's there for re- it's, it's there because of their cleverness and hard work and story, uh, talents. Um, so in that way, it's, per- it's there on purpose. Um, weird. It's both. Um, I, um, uh, uh, Jimmy's ending uh, is apropos of the entire series. Okay, that's fair. That's fair. Yeah. Ray, I, I mean, because we talked about this earlier, because the character of Kim is a new, newer, other than, you know, Jimmy and Saul into into the Breaking Bad and the Gilliver, so to speak. But are, are you kind of bewildered at the, the amount of data and knowledge that goes like, from these fans that know this stuff about everything? Like, it's amazing how they can, they just know everything. I I know nothing compared to some of these people. It's, I have repeatedly learned things 
from fans after I did the scene. <laughs> like, I did not realize that uh, when she's watching Ice Station Zebra and says it's one of her favorite movies and Saul's uh, making fun of her, Jimmy's making fun of her, I... I just thought, and there's a great joke in there, something about, like, why do you always like these movies with men being um, trapped in, uh, trapped and dying or something? I can't remember what it was, but um, I thought this, and she mentions that her dad liked it, and there's a weird thing where Jimmy decides to not go there. Um, So I'm just playing that scene, which, by the way, is plenty for my RAM space. I don't, Kim hasn't seen Breaking Bad, so I don't need to think about those things anyway, but... Even if I was clever enough, I didn't, I didn't, totally didn't realize that that was, what is it? It's Saul Goodman's tax, tax haven account that I guess people f- saw written on the bottom of the checks. His loan out. Yeah, his loan out. Yeah. His loan out company. Yeah. I would say, I, no, I, I, I don't know. I'm doing, I'm doing the best I can with the amount of knowledge I'm able to retain. <laughs> I love Breaking Bad, but I'm not someone that knows all those things, but I love hearing about all those details. It's, it's fun. It's crazy. And a lot of times you're like, we see, you know, good Tom is on Twitter. Tom is really active on there answering fan questions and stuff like that. Except for the testicles thing. Oh yes. goodness. Oh my good Lord. I mean, that's like, yeah, there's 7,000 uh, testicle songs. Um, but a lot of times he's explained things are just coincidences. A lot of things are just coincidence. You see like a, you know, a domino number. It's not going to mean that it's going to be episode six, nine. It's going to be, someone's going to die or anything like that. There are some happy coincidences, a lot of them, probably more so than not, but there are some, you know, planned out things as well too. Um, but we're going to, oh, I have to read a super chat question before we jump over to uh, another audio question. This is a nice one that came in from Kevin Primus, uh, like the band from Durham, North Carolina. It says where Kim Wexler's hibiscus and pomegranate lip balm is sustainably manufactured by Burt's Bees. Uh, as an icon of female empowerment, can you tell us about your work with the Domestic Violence Resource Center? And would you consider lending your voice to help launch a Take Back the Night uh, Foundation event? Example, at Duke University, University of New Mexico, or your alma mater, George Mason. So am I supposed to... <laughs> the question... Um, I can tell you about uh, working with... Um, uh, domestic violence uh, organizations um, uh, offering free legal counsel and uh, help for women in in a variety of ways, the therapy, the um, restraining orders, um, counseling, uh, safe shelter, all of that um, is important to me. And I do try to find ways to be a part of that in a a variety of ways. Um, If there's something I can lend my voice to that's a take back the night uh, event that fits into my schedule, I would absolutely try to do that. Um, it's just, um, there's a number, I mean, there, and I know Bob feels the same way. There's not enough there. Sometimes there's not enough minutes in the day for me to, there's so many worthwhile charities and so many groups of people doing uh, amazing work right now. Um, and the need just keeps growing larger and larger. Um, uh, Violence against women is just something that has been an issue that I have not thought has been addressed properly or with the right importance or immediacy for decades, pretty much since I was a, a, an adult thinking young woman. Um, and the pandemic just made it worse. Certainly. Uh, so important cause to me. And um, if this person has something for me, please uh, 
reach out to Viewpoint, my publicist. I am I am not uh, the owner of my own schedule these days. I have a lot of people trying to help me figure things out and coordinate them. No problem. If you want me to share that later on with him privately, I can do that as well. Yeah. You can just Google it. It's yeah, very there, easy. there you go. <laughs> and we're going to jump over to a question from Adam, and I believe this is for the both of you. Hi, Bob and Ray. Uh, my name's Adam. My question for the two of you involves uh, your preparation for your roles script by script. Were either of you thrown for a loop when it comes to the direction your characters were taken in? And uh, if so, how did you use these changes to your advantage? Good question. We'll start with you, Bob. Yeah, we get. Oh, start with Bob. Go ahead. I mean, there were always conversations about things that didn't sort of maybe that maybe we struggled to match up with what we've been playing. Um, and and Ray will back me up. The I think the most common thing was when one of our characters needed to be a little uh, dim dim about something that was happening in their in their sites and and that was challenging and would occasionally feel like uh this isn't the character i've been playing this person who doesn't understand something or doesn't see something that's right in front of them and we would always work that out with the writers we never had to just do it and tough shit and don't don't ask questions um if we felt like it didn't marry up with the character we've been playing their intelligence or their sensitivity, we would work with the writers. And there's ways to alter the um, ingredients of a moment that can that can make something work that didn't work uh, before. But um, as far as like making a choice that um, that doesn't make any sense for the character, that was the only thing that happened to me. Now there were things Jimmy did, many things that I didn't think he should do. And I always wanted him to get smarter, faster about who he was and the things he was doing. It was a little frustrating for me that he took so long to grow as a person. Um, But there is an arcing to the character, and I won't spoil the final episode, but I think that over the course of the series, they granted Jimmy and Kim, very uh, fuller sense of, of of what they knew about life and about human beings, including themselves. Great answer. And we're looking forward to it on Monday. I can't wait to see as well, too. But how about you, Ray? Any any challenges or anything that's come along the lines for Kim Wexler, that character? I pretty much directly agree with what Bob said. There, um, We... And Peter would say this as well, that um, the trouble with writing very, very smart and very emotionally intelligent characters is they can't be dumb when it's convenient. <laughs> and um, uh, Bob and I, but Bob and I sometimes had scenes where it was just, you didn't even have to change lines. Because, I mean, honestly, I I think I can count on one hand. I definitely can only count on one hand the um, words sometimes, even phrases that I have <laughs> asked if we could examine um, their beautifully written scripts. But Bob and I didn't want to be obtuse with each other in scenes. Um, So even sometimes without changing lines, you can speak to the director um, about uh, 
having your character make a decision to not respond to what somebody is doing, that they look upset or that they um, seem to be lying. To make a decision where you've decided to let it let it go. I know that you're lying, but I think you need space right now as opposed to being snowed by something. There are two different ways you can play that scene. And, and, um, and if we ever brought that up to, to people they 100% were in agreement and encouraged us to find those paths. So we did like Bob, did I have things that surprised me about Kim in her actions? Yes, but they never felt like stunts. They always did feel connected when I go home and do my work of like, well, where's this coming from? You know? Um, and a lot of times, and this isn't because I'm so uh, smart or, clairvoyant a lot of times they did match as surprising as some of her actions were they matched up with subtext and backstory that i've been building i wasn't surprised that she was good at scamming and familiar with it when you first see her do it um in episode 201 uh my only question to tom when i saw that script was is she good at it because i know we are able to uh scam ken wins but by that time he's getting drunker and drunker and he's not portrayed as a particularly um uh, deep man when it comes to as long as like you're feeding his ego he he he's happy as a clam um, and so she could have not been very very good at it and Tom said I think it's more interesting if she's great at it and I said yeah that makes sense and um, so I just played it that way but it wasn't surprising to me because I totally think she came from chaos and I think that she has been around scammers before. Well, you do it very well. And last week too, I got to say too, there was probably a good 10 minutes. We were talking about Vincent Peter. We're just flabbergasting over your work. And they actually, for at times they were stumbling for words because people were asking about, you know, finding the character of, uh, you know, the actor to play Kim Wexler. And they commented on the fact sometimes when you're not even speaking, how dramatic you can be uh, in your in your uh, in your delivery. And it's fantastic. And everyone agreed. I mean, definitely, definitely thank God for these Emmy nominations too. now finally. And then for both of you, obviously, one uh, for Bob and two for you. I really hope to see you guys bring it home this year. Really, really do. Thank you. Really well, thank re- you for those nice compliments. I, the I, I competition wanna... is fierce. Go ahead, Ray. <laughs> yeah, I want to say... That I, 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 I do do my homework. Bob has been encouraging me for seven years to not pretend like um, none of my work is my own doing. Um, I work very hard at what I do and I love what I do. But for what it's worth, being allowed to just play the thoughts your character's having and not overly indicate them and not spoon feed to the audience exactly what's going on takes a lot more than just the actor. I've been doing the kind of work that I like to do for a while. It takes scene partners like Bob that is willing to, you know, not go like, are you going to, are you going to say your line? I mean, people do that. <laughs> like what's, what's with the pause. Um, and this isn't about adding Mack truck pauses. Sometimes I just had scenes where I had no lines. Um, but it also takes uh, people who trust their actors, and then it takes an editor that doesn't cut the pause out, and then it takes a network and a studio that thinks their audience is smart enough to handle not being told exactly what to think or a song that tells you how to feel. <laughs> exactly. It's it's a lot. So I, I'm yeah. very appreciative that I've been allowed to do work that I do think is intelligent and that intelligent audiences like. But it had to be... 
there's a lot of people that have to allow that and they should allow it more. And the work is what's going to last, not the awards. Exactly. Nobody can remember what the fuck who won that goddamn thing last year or two years ago. Everyone knows Cranston run a million of them. And, (laughs) um, you know, I think everyone knows that. I don't know. I mean, people look, the work is so much more important (laughs) because, you know, Pen 15, I don't think was ever nominated. It's one of the great shows of the last. One of the best years. ever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. One of the best ever. And so, you know, what does it mean? I love when John Lithgow won and he got up on stage. And I was sharing this with somebody. Ray, I've told you about this. And somebody else who I was, uh, oh, Josh Fadum was saying, yeah, he watched that. He remembers this. And and Lithgow was like, all right, you want to give me an award for that? All right. I've done really amazing work in features and on Broadway, but. If you want to give me an award for that, <laughs> I'll take it. <laughs> and, but, you know, it was because he won for Third Rock, which was oh, fun. Yeah. He liked it. Yeah. He didn't dislike the show. He just thought it was – you can watch the speech. It's on – I'm sure it's on YouTube. YouTube. Oh, yeah, for sure. Josh and the gang. Uh, but the point is, week. you know, I'm glad everyone's cheering for us. You know, being nominated is what matters because separating yourself out from all the hundreds of shows is the hardest thing to do. And then winning is who the fuck knows. I mean, uh, there's a lot of whim and when the change of the wind that day is who wins because I think we got a shot because um, our show is playing during this voting round. So there people are seeing it or hearing about it. But um, in the past, it's been hard because we weren't on for months before you would vote. So there's a shot. But what matters is being nominated. For sure. I'll share a very fast quote with you that was shared with me. And we have two last audio questions. We should be able to get Ray out of here on time for her appointment here. Um, and uh, Josh, you mentioned Josh, him and the, the whole gang is here next week. All three of the film crew are here at the same time next week as well, too. But a very important person, a very successful um, CEO shared this quote with me saying, none of us are as good as all of us. Um, and I think that poor, I mean, everyone has their talents, but everyone makes the success and there is a great team behind this team for like bar none the best in the business from catering to everything even tom schnauz i got to give him a, a feather in, in the cap as well too okay so two last audio questions this is from uh, natalie Ro- uh, romero and here is her question for you hi ray hi bob my name's natalia and uh, i love you both so much and i miss you already even though uh, we still have one more episode to go um so my question is about episode 612 about the scene where kim is uh finally breaks down while being in the bus there and do you think that this is the time where finally after six years she's letting go of everything of all the guilt of the pain and this is the first time that she breaks down like this or that she has had other episodes like this where being lonely or something, she has cried like this so much. Uh, well, thank you so much, and I love you again. Bye. So we touched base on that quickly, um, but maybe has Kim maybe had some other breakdowns that we don't know about? Hypothetically, I don't believe so, no. No, okay. Oh, that's so cool, Ray. I totally agree with you. I mean, you're the one playing the character. You're the one thinking about her psychology uh, deep down, but I totally, that's so cool that I guessed correctly. Yeah, I, um, I don't, I don't, I don't think so. I, she's teared up. We've seen her tear up. Mm-hmm. Um, she might have had to take a minute, take go outside with a, a cigarette and pull herself together. But I, no, I don't think she has ever allowed this sort of um, falling apart. 
breakdown. Okay, very good. Well said. And the very last uh, audio question for the evening is from Guy Incognito, and I'm not sure who it's for. Let's find out. Hi, Ray. Hello, Bob. Ray, on the BCS podcast, you've mentioned thinking up little details about Kim's past that were unlikely to ever make it into the show. Now that the show's ending, could you share one of those details? Off the record, of course. Thanks. Wait, he's saying, so what I've shared before is that there were things that I sometimes thought about were in uh, her past and they turned out to be right and then they came up. Is he asking me, are there things that didn't come show up? I believe so, yeah. And I thought, hmm, um... Hmm. I'm I'm a bit stumped by that. I would ha- I would have to I would have to think. Oh, you know, there's one that I never saw coming. Didn't know she would be good at golf. Okay. <laughs> like, when they said that she used to be a caddy, I I I was like, oh, really? I that's um one that I didn't I I didn't pick that one out. Um. Uh. I no. I'm sorry. I don't have a good answer for that. All right, that's okay. Well, yeah, she taught uh, Kim was going to teach Jimmy. You know, obviously at the little uh, shindig at uh, Howard's locker there. Yeah, that was good. Listen, I know you have an appointment and you have an engagement. I just want to say um, congratulations to both of you on the nominations. We're looking; everyone's looking forward to Monday. I cannot wait. Um, chomping by the bit to see what's going to happen. And uh, we promise everyone we're going to keep inside the Gilverse going for therapy for all of us that are going to be crying in our, uh, you know, on our pillows and everything else. So Bob and Ray, I want to thank you both so very, very much for your time. I'm going to say goodbye to you off the air and get you out of here right away. Everyone tune in again next week. Josh Fadum and the crew are going to be here. And the following week we have Pat. Yes. Pat Healy's coming on too. We got Jeff uh, (laughs) coming on in another week as well too. So we'll, we'll see you all very soon. Have a safe and fun weekend, everyone. Say goodbye to you off the air until next time. Cheers. Thanks again for tuning in to Inside the Gilliverse with Eric Broadbent. Be sure to check back each week for more great discussions and interviews with cast and crew from Breaking Bad, El Camino, and Better Call Saul. 